Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle, and you know us. We're that HR analytics dashboard, helping all of you HR and people leaders out there automate the manual, tedious, and time-consuming process of HR reporting. We know that most of you are using a lot of different HR systems, and when you're trying to understand all the data and metrics and analytics behind your workforce, you're pulling all these messy spreadsheets, trying to pull them together to tell some type of data-driven story of your workforce, and it sucks because spreadsheets suck. That's why you need to check out Employee Cycle. We have all these pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems on the market to be able to automatically pull in all your data so that you can view, share, track, and analyze all your people data from one place. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, check it out, get a demo. We would love to chat with you and explore how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have a great guest on the show. So please help me welcome Paul Phillips. He's the Global Head of Talent Acquisition at Avenade. And today we're discussing why talent leaders need to become talent creators. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Paul, welcome! Thank you very much, Bruce. Awesome. And so for all of you that have listened to this podcast before, you know the first question we're going to ask Paul is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? That's a great question, Bruce. So um, actually, I started my career out uh, on the client-facing consulting side. So worked at two of the big four at KPMG and then PricewaterhouseCoopers. As I realized, as I got more senior, that I had to start to uh, maybe get a level of specification and become known for something. So uh, while I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I transitioned into HR transformation, uh, where I supported a number of other organized, global organizations on their transformation journeys. And ultimately, that tied in nicely with me uh, finding my wife, getting married, having kids, and uh, the life of the consultant of being on the road and not knowing where I was going to be next. Although exciting, uh, I wanted to be uh, closer to home. And so... Uh, took my skill set on the transformation side and then transitioned into uh, internal HR initially at CGI uh, prior to uh, joining Avenard back in 2014 as head of people strategy and operations and then uh, have taken on a number of roles and have been leading the talent acquisitions at Avenard for the last uh, five years at Avenard. Awesome. And we really appreciate that background. So today we're talking about why talent leaders need to become talent creators. And I really like this provocative title, talent creators. So before we go into how to transition into this title or this role, Paul, I want to ask you, can you help our audience understand what is a talent creator? Sure. So I think this is a relatively new phenomena that I believe is going to really uh, be part of our everyday lives uh, in the HR world in this not-too-distant future. And ultimately, Bruce, it's built around the concept of the fact that we do not have enough skilled individuals to fulfill uh, the work that we have today. And ultimately, as we look forward to tomorrow, I think we're all conscious of the fact that the world is changing at such a fast pace that we, we don't know what 
jobs we need you know in the next 12 to 18 months and so it's imperative that we continue to have a level of agility in terms of our talent being able to be unlearn and then relearn and though from that perspective uh, we often talk about the HR life cycle having three main tenants which is around attraction development and then retention and so my view of the world, given what I've been focused on, certainly in the last 12 to 18 months as head of talent acquisition, is being actually not just acquiring talent, but creating talent. And so I see this as the fourth uh, category of the HR life cycle. I love that. And I want to dig a little deeper under the surface there. So when you say create talent, are you saying that you're finding people and professionals that may not look like the conventional person for that role. And so sometimes people will say, if you're looking for a customer success person, you talk to somebody at Starbucks because it's kind of the same thing. They're helping people have a great experience at Starbucks. They could still help them have a great experience in software. So is it more of that transference of skills from industries that are different? Or is this finding individuals that you need to fill roles that are totally new, that no one really has experience in that specific roles. And so you're saying, hey, you have experience in this specific area. We have this brand new role that was never created before. And we believe that your combined skill sets would allow you to help develop this new role. Sure. So I I probably don't like this answer, Bruce, but it's probably a bit of both. Uh, And ultimately, what, what what we're striving for, certainly at Avenard, and I think, you know, I hope the technology world as a whole is trying to provide opportunity for all uh, to uh, look at a career in, in, in technology. I think we've all suffered differently over the over the, pa- the past couple of years going through the pandemic. And I think what it did teach us is that uh, not all professions are, let's say, pandemic proof. The world of technology obviously uh, continued to grow at an exponential rate through the pandemic as people sought opportunities to work from home. Um, And also, together with that, uh, we also saw downtrends in some of the more uh, service-oriented industries. And so uh, that led to a lot of displacement and people's distrust in those industries. And therefore, the opportunities to look at alternative careers, for me, uh, was something that we needed to tap into, uh, not only for the benefits of those individuals, but also for uh, the company as well, as we seek to grow towards diversity of thought uh, and creativity. It's really important we don't just hire homogenous individuals that kind of think, feel, experience the same. And so what we've found is through having this kind of more talent-creative approach uh, at Avenard, it's really galvanized a real new way of thinking and innovation at our organization for sure. So it certainly excites me uh, in terms of what the future may hold. And if I just spend a little bit more time clicking in on this, I can talk specifically about an experience in Brazil where we hired 200 female talents that had not previously either A, uh, worked in the kind of Microsoft technology world before. So they may have worked in other technologies or B, they hadn't even worked in a technology uh, sector before. But as you shared, may have other transferable skills that we could see uh, benefiting from a consulting perspective. And we took those 200 female talents 
and uh, helps uh, train them in uh, differentiating uh, skills uh, aligned to what our business needs were to give them the confidence to be able to support us on projects in terms of supporting our clients. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, it's been a superb success. Uh, and not only did this uh, mean a lot to the individuals, but just from a business perspective, Bruce, we saw our female hiring percentage uh, increase from 18% to 30% um, as a result uh, of this initiative. And a year on from when we went live with this initiative, we're currently seeing female hiring um, in the late 30s, early 40s in Brazil, just showcasing how this uh, was a foundational step for us um, in terms of wanting to have a far more diverse workforce. That's awesome. And to dig a little deeper in regards to the transference of skills, this takes me back to when I was in college. I graduated as a communication studies major, and I didn't see this across a lot of other majors, but one of the things that the comp studies department did is give you this word cloud of all the different industries and roles and jobs you could do with a comm studies degree. And it was awesome because it gave you this career path from skills to job. Whereas a lot of other people in other departments would just think, well, I'm business. And so I'm just going to go into investment banking or consulting because that's what you do versus thinking here's the whole world of things that I could potentially do. And so I want to bring that back and connect that to how companies think of transference of skills, because it can be a little bit of a nuanced, squishy type of exercise that a lot of recruiters and talent leaders don't have experience with, but then also the candidates don't have experience with, because you don't know what you don't know. So who's responsible for understanding which skills can transfer from these non-high-tech, white-collar jobs from a lot of other jobs that people may have in the market? It's a tough question, Bruce, because this is kind of, uh, this is relatively new space, I believe, for the market. But I do, what I do believe is that ultimately, you know, t- to your point, we've seen a shift in terms of uh, expectations around, you know, how does education and vocation work? You know, typically, as you shared, you go to go to school, you learn, uh, you go to university potentially uh, or not, and you pick a career, and that's where you spend your career. And then at the end of your career, you retire, and uh, you know, and the cycle starts again, so to speak. I think it's very clear; it's become clearer. I would say, certainly over the last you know three to four years, that that's no longer the same game, and there is an expectation uh, that you will see more career switching as a result of the the pace of change of the market. Uh, And so from my perspective, with that in mind, um, I do feel there's actually more of a responsibility on us as parents uh, or as educators, as mentors, as coaches, to continue to ensure uh, that we share this sentiment with those that are, you you know, going through their school life. Uh, that you know, some people you know, get set on what they want to do, and that's. Uh, but we need to set themselves up for the fact that you know certain jobs may not exist um, in you know five to ten years' time, and therefore it's incredibly important that you remain nimble, you remain agile, you create the courage uh, to try something new and to stretch yourself. Uh, and ultimately, I feel that you know through those different those comp- types of conversations. Uh, 
um, will start better preparing people uh, for the world ahead. Diversity, or as a broader concept, DEI, has really become a major and a mission-critical mission and a component of a lot of talent strategies everywhere across the country. And one of the things that I've been hearing from HR leaders in the community and then also customers is the ability to have a diverse pipeline while also trying to hire as fast as possible. And so as you are creating talent in this talent creator role, how do you balance the two so that you're still able to be the strategic partner to the business and the departments who need these professionals to hit their goals, but at the same time, you're being thoughtful enough in your recruiting and hiring strategy to make sure that you are sourcing, attracting, and hiring a diverse candidate base? It seems simple, Bruce, but I feel, you know, we're at crossroads as an, you know, at the moment, and we've got an opportunity to change things, and we've got to decide, you know, if we want to do the right thing. And as you shared very eloquently, there is a correlation between the pace of hiring and the quality of that talent. And I see diversity as a quality metric uh, from a talent perspective. And so, yeah, there is education required for our you know, hiring managers and businesses around the fact that as we seek to change the makeup of our organizations, that you know, it ultimately may take uh, more time uh, in order to have uh, that talent ready. But ultimately, Bruce, what this comes down to is if we get better at strategic workforce planning, so having more foresight into the types of skills and how many types of skills that we need uh, in certain locations and by when, uh, that means that from a talent acquisition perspective or in the talent creator role, you have the opportunity uh, for readiness uh, ahead of the need. And so for me, I think that's going to be uh, really important um, as we take our next step. So not only have I become best friends with the head of learning and development recently, I've also kind of cozied up with our head of workforce planning um, to make sure that we continuously stay laser focused on what's important. And I think as you look at this challenge, you know, don't don't necessarily go too broad to start with. Just focus on those you know, two to three skill sets that your company is known for in the marketplace. Hone in on those. Uh, and then um, and then continue to broaden out from that perspective. But, you know, diversity of talent is is not just a strategy. It's, it's key to our continued success. And so uh, we remain laser focused on it, uh, certainly at Avenard. And it goes beyond gender, um, as you said. Awesome. You mentioned getting very close to your L&D counterpart. And so I'm curious, how important is reskilling and upskilling of your existing workforce in comparison to hiring new people to fill those roles? And how do you balance the two? Sure. Yeah. Again, it is a balancing act, Bruce. And look, you know, it's it, it's uh, as much as a science as it is an art. Uh, and it kind of it goes back to that workforce planning piece as we start to see you know, the pipeline of work in terms of what we foresee in terms of our high, you know, high growth areas versus those parts of our business that we may see contracting and, and look for those opportunities where we can look to reskill uh, current talent that's already at Avenard. And ultimately, what we've actually created is we actually created, you know, three lanes uh, of what we call the Avenard Academy. And the third lane is around that reskilling of current talent. Um, so, you know, lane one and lane two is more focused on 
you know, bringing in uh, talent uh, ultimately from the outside market. Uh, but Lane 3 is fully focused on uh, reskilling current, current talent because ultimately, you know, our continued growth agenda, and that's not just of Avenar, but most businesses, you know, for me, the biggest threat, and whenever I talk to my business leaders about how can they help me most in talent acquisition or talent creation, is actually hold on and retain the talent that we already have. And so I really do see this as a key uh, lever that we can uh, pull in terms of enabling uh, those talents that are already within our organizations to continue to uh, prosper and flourish um, as they reskill, unlearn, uh, reskill again, uh, and, and reincarnate themselves into different parts of the business. Uh, I think it's critical uh, for that continued success and variety of life that people uh, yearn for today as experience is key. Paul, this has been awesome, and you've covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. So I want to ask you if there's anything that you would like our audience to remember, if they could only remember one thing from this conversation, what would it be? The one thing I would say is be the change. I think, it's, I think too many of us spend too much time waiting for others to uh, do something different or to change change the game rules. Uh, I feel that we live in a world and a society today that where we all should step up and lead the change. So you know, be the change maker um, and see the impact that you will have. And so that's my key lesson uh, that I've personally learned going through this kind of whole exercise of kind of how my roles evolved. You know, it was scary at first, but you know, stretch yourself Try and think differently. Soundboard with peers that you trust and find the answers and then step forward. Take the plunge. Paul, thank you so much for being such an awesome and thoughtful podcast guest. And we really appreciated everything that you shared here. So go, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce, for making me feel most welcome. Awesome. Awesome. So, Paul, where can people find you and Avanad online? So probably the best place to hook up with me is uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there uh, scouring uh, the majority of the day. So if you want to reach out, uh, please link, reach out to me, uh, Paul Phillips at Avenard uh, via LinkedIn. Be more than happy to connect. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone who enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Google reviews or anywhere where you can leave a review. Just talk about how awesome Employee Cycle Podcast is if you enjoyed it. Also, if this is your very first time listening to the Employee Cycle Podcast and you came here because you either thought that the topic was compelling or you're already a super huge mega fan of Paul and you just had to hear what he had to say, but now you don't want to miss any new episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast players. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.